The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Let us pray and ask the Lord's blessing on his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you today in such hearts of gratitude and thanks for your word to us. And we pray, O God, that you would speak to us by your spirit, even as you use my words this morning to convey your word to your people. May your spirit be the messenger and may uh, your spirit open our hearts to receive all that you would speak to us this morning. In Christ's name we ask, amen. You may be seated. For many of us here this morning, this may be one of the most difficult sermons we will have to hear and receive all year long. If I were to have come before you this morning with a text that pointed out your sin and reminded you of your duty to turn and forsake that sin, reminded you of God's wrath against sin, it would be easier for many of us to receive such a text. Some of us even appreciate it when the preacher steps on your toes a little bit in the sermon, right? But for many of us to hear a sermon on the Lord's blessing can be very difficult for us to hear and receive. One of the obstacles in our path is we know that the prosperity gospel, which is so common in the world around us, has twisted and corrupted the idea of the Lord's blessing to such an extent that we wish to distance ourselves from their corruption of the gospel. And so we have a hard time coming to a text like this about the Lord's blessing with open hearts and minds. Maybe, like me, you have been in churches or grew up in churches where God even was presented to you as someone who is very angry with your sins all the time. Even though he poured out his full wrath for sin on the cross, on his own son, Jesus Christ, yet even still today, the Christian remains in fear because they know God is angry with sin, just barely holding himself back from smiting you for your sin and failures. And so to hear of a God who makes his face shine on you and blesses you may be difficult to hear. Maybe objections come to your mind as we study this text, thinking, well, this is surely only a spiritual blessing. It has to do with my salvation and my sanctification. It's not a blessing that's for my flesh here and now. Or maybe you are thinking about some tragedy or loss that you have experienced or may even now be going through. And so you think to yourself, if the Lord blesses his people in the way you were describing to me this morning, what does that mean for my life? Is God really blessing his people like you're talking about, or does this mean that I'm not one of his, and that's why I don't see that blessing. And all of these difficulties and objections may occur to you as we go through this sermon on the Lord's blessing this morning. 
And I would like to help us answer those and be able to respond to those sorts of objections properly. But also, I want to positively present to you the full depth of the wonder of God's disposition towards his people and his blessing towards his people. Ordinarily, when you come to a text, one of the first things you do is to look at the context. How does this passage fit in with the context here in Numbers? The passage just before this does not offer any immediate context for us. It has to do with the laws concerning the Nazarite vows. But the passage immediately afterwards in chapter 7 is all about the offerings the people brought for the dedication of the tabernacle. And there I believe we begin to have our first clue as to why this passage is right here in Numbers. At the end of Exodus, as we go back a ways to widen our scope, at the end of Exodus, the tabernacle has finally been erected and the Lord's presence has filled the tabernacle to such a point that even Moses could not enter it. And so throughout all of Leviticus, God gives instructions. How can God's people come before a holy God and not die as Aaron's sons died when they offered strange fire? And so God gives the instructions of this is what is clean and what is unclean. This is what is holy and what is not holy so that they can make a distinction so that when they come before God, they do not die. But now having done that, and the tabernacle is open, and the priests are bringing their offerings, and the people can come to the tabernacle of meeting for worship, now in Numbers, what does God do? He is fulfilling his full covenant promise to his people that he has always had in mind, that I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. And so in Numbers, we see even as they uh, dedicate the tabernacle, God arranges the camp so that there would be three tribes on this side, three on this side, three and three, so that the people of Israel literally surround the tabernacle. At the very center of the camp is the tabernacle of the Lord where God dwells. And at any time, they can look towards the center of the camp and they would see that pillar of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night and know that God himself is dwelling in the midst of his people. And what does it mean to have God dwelling in the midst of his people? It means that the Lord's blessing flows out from the center of the camp, flows out from the tabernacle as though from the mountain of the Lord flowing down to all his people around him. That is what it means to have God dwelling in the midst of his people. It is to have the Lord's blessing flowing on you from himself. And this is the context of our passage here this morning. The tabernacle is open. God's presence is in the midst of his people. And I believe the Holy Spirit would have us learn from this passage this morning that the Lord's blessing confers his favor to his people. The Lord's blessing confers his favor to his people. We'll develop that in three points this morning. First, the initiative of the Lord's blessing in verses 22 through 23, the initiative of the Lord's blessing. Second, the depth 
of the Lord's blessing in verses 24 through 26, the depth of the Lord's blessing, and then finally the seal of the Lord's blessing in verse 27, the initiative of the Lord's blessing, the depth of the Lord's blessing, and the seal of the Lord's blessing. As we begin, look with me again, if you would, starting in verse 22, as we look at the initiative of the Lord's blessing. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, you shall say to them. Notice that our passage begins with the Lord. The people of Israel did not come to Moses and Aaron and say to him, Moses, Aaron, now that we have the tabernacle open and God is dwelling in the midst of us, would you go and ask God if he would bless his people? Aaron and Moses did not come before God and say, God, now that you are here in the midst of your people, will you give us a blessing for your people? The Lord himself initiates this conversation. The Lord himself speaks to Aaron and Moses. He has taken the initiative and he says, this is what I want you to do. And you notice that he says here twice we have this word shall in verse 23. Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them. That word shall has every bit of the force as the shall in Exodus 20 of you shall not kill, you shall not steal. This is a command God is giving to Moses and Aaron to speak this blessing to his people. God has taken the initiative and he has commanded his ministers to bless his people. He says there, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. Thus, they're meaning in this way. God did not say to Moses and Aaron, go and think up a proper blessing to give to these people. No, God himself has, in a sense, we could say anthropomorphizing God. He has taken the time to compose a blessing himself. If you think about that, what it is like when someone takes the time to sit down and carefully write you a letter or something like that, where they have taken the time to think through the words, to carefully express exactly what they mean. And that is what God has done. He has given us these words as his blessing to his people, these exact words. What do we do with this information? We start here, meditate on the fact that the God we serve is a God who commands his blessing to his people. Think about that. Think about that in your prayers. When you come before God to make requests of him, to offer your thanksgiving to him, think about the fact that this is not a God that we have to go to and beg for any mercy, that we have to hope that he will hear some small answer to us. But in fact, he is the God who commands blessing to his people. What a God we serve who takes the initiative to say, I want to bless my people. This is my command to my ministers, bless the people in my name. That is the initiative of the Lord's blessing. We move on now towards the depth of the Lord's blessing. These words, which I'm sure are familiar to probably every one of us here, reading now from verse 24 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. What amazing words. What beautiful construction and composition it is, how God expresses himself. We notice, first of all, that each of these three blessings begins with the Lord, his covenant, personal name by which he addresses us in his blessing. Not merely God bless you, but the Lord using his own name to bless us. Our first blessing in verse 24 is the Lord bless you and keep you. We should understand that that word and does not indicate that this is two separate blessings, but in each one of these three blessings, it begins with the disposition of the Lord towards us and the resulting consequence of his disposition towards us. So it begins with the Lord bless you. To say bless here in the context of a blessing might seem a little bit by using a word to define the word, wouldn't it? So what do we mean by bless here? Elmer Martins defines to bless as to empower, to make productive, even to cause to prosper. We see the first blessing in the Bible all the way back in the Garden of Eden when God blessed Adam and said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. What is that blessing? Be fruitful, that is to cause, to prosper, multiply, to make productive, have dominion over the earth, is to empower. And so when we say that the disposition of the Lord to us is to bless you, he is, his disposition is to empower you, to make you productive, to even cause you to prosper. That is his disposition towards us. And what is the resulting consequence there in verse 24? And keep you. That word keep is the same word that we might use to describe a castle as a keep. It is to guard, to protect his people. The Lord's blessing protects his people. We see this certainly as a spiritual blessing, as at the end of the book of Jude in his doxology, he begins the conclusion with, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. In other words, God, God's protection is keeping us, keeps us from falling away into sin. It is the protection and keeping that he expresses towards Peter on the night when he was betrayed. And he said, Satan has desired to have you, but I have prayed for you that you may not fail. That is the keeping of the Lord. That is the spiritual component of this blessing that we have towards us. But it's not merely a spiritual blessing. We also see this in Psalm 91, 11 and 12, where it says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. This is the keeping of the Lord. It's a physical protection, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And yet I am quite sure that for many of you, the objection is already arising. Wait a minute. Those are the exact verses Satan quoted to Jesus in his temptation, isn't it? 
So how then would I take that to mean God is literally physically going to protect me? And yet, when Jesus answered Satan here, he did not say to Satan, no, Satan, now, you ha- you've misunderstood that. That's merely spiritual. He's not really saying that he's going to keep you from bumping your toe in the night. No, the way Jesus answered Satan was to say, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, this promise of keeping and protection from the Lord means that, does not mean that we can go live in some reckless and dangerous manner out in the world and just expect that God will protect and keep us. Now, if you are one who is prone to alcoholism and to abuse of alcohol, you cannot go to the bar and hang out with your friends there and just expect, well, I will be safe here because the Lord has promised to keep me. I don't have to worry about all this temptation around me. I can just recklessly do whatever I want without fear. You cannot drive 90 miles an hour down a residential neighborhood with no seatbelt and say, well, I don't have to worry about a car crash because the Lord has promised to keep and protect me. No, we don't have any warrant from God to live in a dangerous or reckless manner merely because he has promised to keep us. But that does not negate his promise. It does not overturn the fact that he has promised to keep us. You and I can have no real idea of just how many times the Lord has kept us from an accident, has kept us from illness, has kept us from disaster over and over again to bring you and I here. Our enemy desires to steal and to kill and to destroy. And the fact that he has been kept back from doing that, as we can see because you are all still here, he has not killed you yet is evidence that God has protected you at every moment in your life to keep you safe to this point. But now you might also have another objection arise in your mind. We think back to last year, our beloved brother Harry Reeder, who is faithful pastor at Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham for many years, died in an awful car accident suddenly. And you say, where was the Lord's keeping of our brother Reader on that day? Where was God's protection of him then? And I would say then, if we could talk to our brother today and ask him, would you trade places with any of us? Would you have the Lord's protection from that car wreck and come back down and trade places with me? And he would say, no, no, thank you, brothers and sisters. I have received all the fullness of the blessing of God God meant it for my good, and here I am. This is the greatest good I can imagine. And so even in the places where it seems like God has not kept us, God has not preserved us from harm, even then, it is only because he is bringing about greater blessings in our life. He has promised to bless us and to keep us. In verse 25, it says, The Lord make his face to shine upon you. When God hides his face, trouble comes. When God turns his face toward us in wrath, then judgment comes. But when the Lord makes his face to shine upon his people, he is talking about making all of his goodness and mercy to shine upon his people. We see this in Exodus 33 and 34, when in 33, Moses asked God, show me your glory. And in 
Exodus 34, God says, I will make all of my goodness to pass before you and I will proclaim my name. And so when God's goodness passes before Moses and Moses beholds the fullness of the goodness of God, when he comes down from the mountain, his face too is shining with all of that goodness that had reflected from God's glory into him. To have God's face shine upon you as all of his goodness, his mercy shine upon you. And what is the result of that? It is, and be gracious to you. This grace is certainly spiritual, isn't it? This is the grace when God made his face to shine upon us, when he turned away his face in wrath to look instead upon his own son on the cross so that he could turn to us his face to shine upon us with all of his goodness. And so he has shown his grace to us. But his graciousness here is also his mercy. That is, he relieves some of the suffering and the misery of the curse of sin on this world in our lives. And you say, but brother, I know of a family who lost everything they owned to a house fire or there was a big storm and it took all of their possessions away. Where was that mercy and graciousness from God to them? And I say, whenever you hear of some Christian brother or sister that has gone through such a thing, do they usually come out complaining against God's lack of mercy and graciousness to them? Or do they come out praising God and thanking Him, saying, you know, they're just things. Things can be replaced. And He kept us. He preserved us. And our family, our church has come together and they're supporting us and we've grown closer to our brothers and sisters. God's mercy has truly been evident even in these circumstances, even in troubling providence, providence, what the Puritans often called God's frowning providence. It seems very much as though God's mercy and graciousness can be evident to believers. In verse 26, he says, the Lord Lift up his countenance upon you. Lift up his countenance. That word for countenance there is the same word for face in the verse before. When your face falls, you are frowning. Your face falls. We see this in Cain. When the Lord rejected his offering, his countenance fell. He was angry and sad to the point that he killed his own brother because his countenance had fallen. And yet when your countenance lifts, you are happy, you are smiling. We see that for Hannah. When Hannah is praying at the door of the tabernacle and Eli tells her, the Lord has heard your prayer, you will have a son. It says her countenance lifted. She was smiling, she was happy, she had received the answer from the Lord. This is what it means to have your countenance lifted up is you are literally, your face is lifted, you are smiling and happy. And this verse tells us that the Lord's countenance is lifted up on his people. Did you know that God smiles at you? That God literally, his face lifts at the sight of his children. I work in a back bedroom that has been converted to a home office. And my 
oldest daughter lives about 100 yards away, and almost every morning at some point, I will look out the window and I will see her coming with my two granddaughters, three and two years old. And every day when I see them out the window, I see them coming over, my countenance lifts. I am happy. I am smiling. I holler out to Glenda in the next room, the girls are coming. And if there's anything I can drop, I stop what I'm doing and I go out to see them and I'm happy to see them. Why? Not because they've done anything on the way over. They haven't brought me any gifts or anything like that. But simply, their very presence causes my countenance to lift because I love them so much. I am excited and happy to see them. And God looks upon his children in the same way that I look on my grandchildren, where just seeing us causes his face to lift and God smiles on his people. Did you know that God is smiling at you? I went so much of my life not aware of that, thinking God was always frowning and disappointed with me and angry with me. And yet we even know in Zephaniah 3, it says God rejoices over his people with singing. What a God this is who smiles at his children. And what is the result of this smiling? It says he gives you peace. I'm sure you would recognize that word for peace there is shalom. It's more than just there is no war. It is a full wholeness of peace in our Hearts. We have spiritually this peace with God, right? We're even told of Christ, He Himself is our peace. We are no longer at war with God. We are no longer at risk of Him turning His face towards us at wrath because of Christ. We are at peace with God. And also in this world, as you see, Day after day, the world is in a state of outrage and fear, aren't they? What is the new thing in the news today that we're all outraged about? We're at fear because there's war in Ukraine, there's war in Gaza, there's always something new today to be afraid of. Is this the end that's coming? And yet, our Father has given us peace a full certainty of assurance of peace and wholeness and well-being in our hearts because we have the peace of God. We don't have to give in to every new outrage of the day. We don't have to give in to all the things that the world is afraid of. God has given us peace. These three blessings are an amazing uh, gift of God to us. And if we look at them all together, you see that this three-in-one blessing, that should cause any Trinitarian Christian to perk up and say, aha, I found one in the Bible. That's significant, right? There's three-in-one. What does it mean in the Bible when a thing is repeated? Well, the first thing it means is that there is a superlative nature of it. From good, better, to best is the superlative. When the priest would enter the temple and he would go from the outer courts to the holy place, where the table of showbread was on one hand, the lampstand on the other, that was a holy place that only the priest could enter. But only once a year, 
under very specific conditions, the high priest alone could enter the holy of holies. It is a doubling of the word. It says, this is the most holy place on earth. This is where the Lord our God dwells. It is the holy, holy. And yet, when describing God himself, even that is not enough. The Bible says he is holy, holy, holy. Tripling the word brings it to the superlative. God is the most holy being that is in existence or can even be conceived of existing. He is holy, holy, holy. And by tripling the blessing here, God is saying, this is the most superlative blessing that you can receive. Repeating a thing also makes a thing more certain. When God said to Adam in the garden, uh, speaking of the forbidden fruit, he says that the day you eat of it, you will surely die. That word surely is a good translation of it because in English it doesn't sound right. If you just put it literally, you will die, die. He repeats it, which makes it certain. This is a thing that will definitely happen. I'm repeating the word. And this is why often when Jesus is teaching He will say, truly, truly, I say to you, repeating that truly twice, telling them that this is an absolute certain truth that I am telling you. You know it is true because I have doubled it. And yet the blessing of the Lord here is repeated three times. This is the most certain thing that you can conceive of, that God will bless his people. You know that because he has repeated a blessing three times times here. This is absolutely certain. What are we to do with this information as well? How would it affect your prayers to know that God has certainly and superlatively guaranteed that he will bless you, that he will hear your prayers, that he does not answer like a miser, like Scrooge, who cannot be convinced to give over even a penny Our God is the God who is full of blessing. It is not only his initiative to command his blessing to you, but he is not at all stingy, and at the depth of the Lord's blessing towards you reveals his disposition of love and affection towards you, his protection in keeping you, his provision in his being gracious to you, and his affection in his peace towards you. This is the depth of the Lord's blessing. How would that motivate your prayers if you were to think on that? How would it motivate your zeal and good works towards God to think of the depth to which he has blessed his people? We have seen the Lord's initiative and his blessing. We have talked now of the depth of the Lord's blessing. And then in verse 27, we see the seal of the Lord's blessing. So shall they put my name Upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. It's a little bit of an unusual phrase there, isn't it? To put my name upon. What does that mean? Well, often when a family adopts a child, especially if they are very young, they will put their name on that child. That child may have been John Doe or Jane Doe, but now they become John Poteet, Jane Poteet, if they were adopted. And what does it mean 
to put your name upon that child in adoption, it says, this one is mine. I guarantee my protection on this one. I guarantee my provision for this one. I guarantee my affection for this one. I have put my name upon them. And in all three of these blessings, they begin with the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. He is saying to us, this is my name. I have put it on you. I have put my name on you. You are mine. It shows that God has adopted us as his very own children. He loves us as, his, as he loves his very own son. And then it says, and I will bless them. That word will there is the same as the shall earlier in the verse. And it's a perfectly good translation, and I will bless them. And yet, English has a hard time conveying just how emphatic this statement is. The I is repeated, so we could accurately translate that in I, I myself shall bless them. And that word bless won't get too deep in the Hebrew grammar for you, but is the most emphatic form of that verb possible. And so we could legitimately translate this, ver- this phrase as, and I, I myself shall bless them, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. God himself guaranteeing it through his name, I shall bless them. He says, they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I, I myself shall bless them. When we leave here in the next several minutes, many of us will say to one another, have a nice day, have a good week, things like that. And that's a nice sentiment. We hope that comes to pass. We hope our brothers and sisters have a good day, have a good week. But that's not what's happening in the blessing here. God is saying, when the priests speak this blessing over my people, I, I myself shall bless them. And you say, that sounds nice, but I don't live in ancient Israel. I've never met a high priest. And so you may not see how this relates to you today because we don't use this term as often, but we use the term benediction, which means to bless a people, especially in a religious context, to bless the people. At the end of the service, Mark will stand here and he will pronounce the blessing on the people of the Lord. Often using this text, often I'm sure using the text from 2 Corinthians 13, 14, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You notice even in that New Testament passage, it is the Lord's name repeated three times, telling what God will do, his disposition towards his people. And we almost always, if not every single time, use scripture in that benediction because it's not the minister's words. It's not a wish or a sentiment that God would bless his people throughout the week. It is the pronouncement that God is blessing his people. You have come in answer to God's call to worship. And now God speaks his blessing on you. And I, I myself, he says, shall bless them. This is what you receive when you come to worship every Sunday, every Lord's Day. You receive this blessing from God. 
How would that affect your desire to come to worship on Sunday morning? When that alarm goes off early Sunday and you hit that snooze button and you think, oh boy, I got to get up early today. Or do you think, I get to go worship our living God. I get to receive the blessing of the Lord. What an amazing thing. That is no mere wish or sentiment, but it is the guarantee of the blessing of the Lord. We've seen the initiative of the Lord's blessing towards us. We have witnessed the depth of his favor towards us. His disposition is a smiling disposition where he shines all his goodness on us. And his blessing is actually conferred to us as he seals it to us and says, I will bless them. What does that mean for you and I this week? How can you and I, I know myself, I am still so full of sin inwardly daily. How can God look upon one such as I and smile seeing me? Well, he can smile when he sees me because he looks at me in Christ. Ephesians tells us that Christ, in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. Every blessing of God comes to us, not because of anything you or I have done, not because we have earned some blessing of the Lord, but because in Christ, we have been adopted into his family and he has put his name upon us. In Christ, he turns away his face of wrath from us and looks towards us in his goodness. In Christ, he no longer, his countenance is no longer fallen towards us, but in Christ, he smiles at us. Why? Because he has stripped us of our filthy, sin-laden robes and he has clothed us in Christ's righteousness. And when he looks at us, he does not see our sin and our failures. He sees the image of his own beloved son, being formed in you and I, as day by day, by the work of his spirit, we grow to look more and more and more like the son whom he loves. And so because of Christ, we have this blessing of God guaranteed to us, really, truly conferred to us. God has called you here this morning for your good. He has called you here this morning to bless you because he loves you, because his countenance lifts every time he sees you. Meditate on his blessing. Our actions to serve God should not be motivated out of a fear of his wrath, but out of a zeal to love and honor the Father who has adopted us, who has put his name on us, and who has blessed us with such rich and certain blessings. Our prayers should not be prayed as though we pray to a God who barely can be convinced to hear us or even look on us, but to a God who is so loving towards us and so generous in his gracious mercy that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Meditate on this throughout the week. Meditate on it as you pray, as you ask God for greater and greater zeal in sanctification and in doing good works, and so may it motivate us to serve him more. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you have truly been more good to us than we can ever 
express our gratitude. You have done more for us than we can ever thank you for. You have blessed us so, so many times and in so many ways that we don't even know about, God. You have just extended your blessing towards us. Lord, let us not live in fear of our Father. Let us know him as the God who loves us and who blesses his people. Let us revere you and love you in return. And let us serve you with our whole hearts. Let us know you as the God who blesses your people. Bless your people this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.